This is the Fire These Times, and I'm your host, Joey Ayub. In this third season, we will be exploring internationalist solidarity, prefigurative politics, solar punk, and how to tackle some of the most pressing challenges of our times. Each episode will be on one or more of these topics. But before getting into today's topic, I wanted to quickly tell you that you can support this podcast for as little as $2 or $5 a month on patreon.com slash fire these times. That is patreon.com slash fire these times. If you cannot donate, you can still support by sharing it with your friends and families and leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps it get more exposure and introduce it to more folks. That's it from me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. My name is Cameron Roberson, but uh, my, my, my byline is Rob Cameron. I am uh, a teacher, a writer, um, trained linguist I'm from Rochester, New York, but I live in Brooklyn. I've been in New York City now for about 15 years. Uh, and um, yeah, I write whatever I can, <laughs> uh, primarily speculative fiction, but I've also written uh uh, essays for foreign policy on the right to self-defense, you know, reactions to January 6th. Uh, and uh, I have another essay on the new modality, also solar punk, but uh, solar punk and religion, uh, which is obviously an interesting topic, particularly when uh, when you understand who the who this genre is meant for uh, and who's actually writing it, uh, the kind of conversations that go on behind the scenes, uh, speculative fiction, anything. And uh, yeah, I'm a father of two, uh, happily married, uh, living in an apartment, which is falling apart. But what you going to do? The rent's just right, so I can't move. <coughs> Mortgages are too high. And uh, that's my life right now. Well, thank you for taking the time uh, from a clearly busy life to chat with me. Um, I discovered the essay that you wrote, which we'll be talking about now, called In Search of Afro Solar Punk, because my friend Emmy uh, Bevancy sent it to me. Emmy mm. uh, was a guest a couple of times, actually recently, last week as well. And so I'm really into solar punk, and I'm separately really into Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't claim any kind of expertise, and I don't write it. I just think about it a lot. Walk us through sort of your thinking, or walk us through how you discovered Afro Solar Punk, or how these two kind of came together. Well, uh, there's a there's a writer's convention uh, that before the pandemic I would frequent uh, called ReaderCon. And it's in Boston. A lot of these cool cons are in Boston uh, for speculative fiction. And I've been going there for years. I've been at panels there for years. I had actually been um, on a planning committee for deciding new events uh, and new uh, new panels uh, for, for ReaderCon. And I just happened to be there. Well, okay, well, two things happened actually. I saw a panel on solar punk at ReaderCon. It was the first time I'd ever heard of solar punk. And I was so excited about it. And the people who were on the panel, like Michael J. J. DeLuca, who's now a friend, uh, that's when I first met him, um, uh, it got me really thinking and excited about the, the concept because um, the, the underpinning um, kind of spirit of solar punk is to look on the future with fresh eyes. I mean, we can get, it goes more in depth than that. Um, but for I can I can go more in depth about what solar punk means to me in my own on my own writing a little bit later. But that's kind of where where I started. And then, you know, 
Uh, we start looking though at solarpunk and you realize that there are very few African-American writers. And so as a matter of fact, to be honest, I haven't found any yet, specifically writing fiction in solarpunk. Uh, eco-punk and eco-fiction is a broader category uh, and you'll find people writing in that, uh, but there is still tends to be a kind of uh, apocalyptic feel to it as well. Uh, and so that's a different, it's a, it's a, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not sure if you call it a different genre, just a subgenre or a larger genre, but it's a different feel altogether than what solar punk, I think, is what they're trying to go for. So then I had a panel with Michael J. DeLuca on Afro solar punk. Uh, my design, I, was, I, 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 I put it up there and Peter Khan said yes. And I was able to talk to, you know, people who, who know, you know, Afrofuturism. And again, the question was, well, if this becomes a thing, what would it look like? And the answer is, it's quite broad because one, solar punk is relatively new. It's still being formed by the writers. Uh, and Afrofuturism uh, has, the, 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 the meaning of that word has broadened, expanded to take in everything. Um, from magic involved without magic involved, uh, you know, magical thinking, etc. Fudan, uh, everything, all that you could fit in black speculative arts tends to be now sometimes considered Afrofuturism. It's not always the most useful uh, tool when trying to think about black arts. As a matter of fact, I think now uh, the better, the more specific, the more the term that uses that gets used more by people who write in this is black uh, uh, science fiction arts or uh, so Afrofuturism, I think now, at least the way I use it, is more specific, it's more, it's more linear, I guess, in a way, and focusing on the kind of a, for me, kind of a near future um, time when uh, with, with solo punk genre uh, uh, pieces are put there, but with African-American, not just people in it, because you'll see we're in many of these stories, uh, but written from that perspective. And so that's kind of what I was getting into. And I have not yet myself written uh, stories. My, well, let me put it this way. I'm, in, I'm drafting right now. I have a set of essays. Um, and part of those set of essays are, are flash fiction uh, of what I'm trying to make, a solar punk war, uh, which is uh, going to be a different thing, a subgenre within a subgenre. But um, that's my creative uh, uh contribution to solar punk so far thanks for that i mean i've done a number of episodes on solar punk on this podcast so i could maybe assume that most listeners know what we're talking about but there might be new new folks as well so what how do you understand solar punk and also i mean how do you understand afrofuturism for that matter so that we're kind of bringing them together sure so um i'll start with afrofuturism mm -hmm. because that's i think relatively easy mm -hmm. or um because there is uh, there's a lot more out there. Uh, so for me, Afrofuturism, uh, it's a couple different things. Let me see if I can narrow it down. One, it is the the, the creatives themselves are from a diaspora, um, or they are from Africa. Uh, you, some people have made a designation, a designation or distinction between Afrofuturism and African futurism. And that's fine. I'm not going to quibble about those things. But generally speaking, seeing uh, Black creatives putting their work you know, out there, putting us in the future. A uh, second thing is that um, there is, uh, as a kind of science fiction, that um, 
that tries to also find some binding, a connection to history, right? So we're looking back at what was here before because part of uh, creating a future is is finding kind of, you know, it's finding the chain of cause and events that got us there. Uh, and for, again, for specifically for African-Americans, you know, because we're, it's one, one piece of many, uh, there's a history that has been delved into quite a bit um, and has given us a kind of, given us our own kind of tropes uh, uh, and and histories to to use uh, for for story material. Uh, yeah, so it's that's the first thing is it's the people who are it's the creatives and also making sure they're making a connection to history as moving moving ourselves into the future. Uh, and then uh, part of it really is kind of defining a future that is not simply built off of suffering because what you see often, you know, it's talking about slavery, uh, talking about civil rights. And while those two things are absolutely necessary and they need to be pushed into the future, uh, it's kind of like a starting point uh, because a lot of African-American writing uh, tends to be focused around a kind of sociological historical trauma. And the same thing for myself, it's something that is it's kind of hard to get around. You know, I, I there was a panel in, in well, I'm not going to name the con because uh, they, they didn't do it very well. Uh, called Beyond Afrofuturism, which is such an interesting title. And I was, ex- and uh, so I went there at this panel. A first question was asked by, by the moderator uh, Can there be a post Afrofuturism? What comes after Afrofuturism? And the first person started speaking, just straight up said no, and then went out on a tangent that there cannot be anything. We cannot go beyond Afrofuturism, not because it would change into something else, but simply a pessimistic view of, you know, of the future, which was unfortunate because that's that's the entire reason <laughs> for the panel. Uh, and so, you know, and particularly because what we have as a future here in the United States versus what they have in Nigeria versus what that's going on in in in, in Algeria or in Somalia or in France, these are going to be different futures. And one of the things about solar punk, I think kind of correlates with Afrofuturism is the plurality of futures, which are not, which is not a kind of uh, postmodern kind of spinning out. It's like all these futures are okay. All these futures, there are space for all of these different, different things if we make for them. If our humanity uh, is reassessed to say, oh, no, no, it's not, we are not, uh, we are not, you know, monsters. We are not just simply animals. Uh, we're not just chimps who are going to fight at every last moment just for that last grape. Um, we actually have some really amazing, uh, uh, amazing uh, uh, attributes which are wholly social, and so we can make room as long as there is an environment, uh, literally uh, a non-toxic environment, to do that. And so, what solar punk does, where the connection is, how do you do that? that that political work how do you do that sociological work how do you do that science you know the engineering then how do you do that healing work, the trauma the traumatic healing yeah. so all of those things kind of come together for me when we're talking about what afrofuturism is it's that healing process um and what does that look like you know when we're not just trying to heal ourselves or societies but actually the the, the earth itself our environment our communities like the air that we're breathing the panel that you mentioned like can there be beyond, you know, Afrofuturism? I always find this very interesting because on some level I do, I understand, I guess, the pessimism, uh, just like based on 
experience or whatever but the goal should also be at the same time i suppose so even if we personally don't believe that things might get better in the next 10 years or 20 years or whatever but to still try and do that work of imagining what that could look like you ask in your essay why must color or race hyphenate science fiction at all and i guess this is you know you kind of i think already answered it but can we get into this a bit more like why has there been this need um again for those who don't know um to to have something that is Afrofuturism. That's not just, oh, this is just futurism that has, you know, African or black people in it. It's like specifically Afrofuturism that that serves a purpose, obviously, that other types of futurisms don't serve. If that makes sure. sense. Uh well, I think there there are two directions that I can take with this. And the first is it's some it's somewhat tongue in cheek, but it's a it's a fun way to start. It's there we can't travel back in time. Therefore, we have to have some we have to have some kind of prosthetic, you know, at least in a speculative manner, you know, talking about this. Because if we could go back in time, you know, we will be able to find those moments and those people where kind of systems kind of went off the rails. Uh, where the political backlash against the end of a civil war, you know, didn't end up putting us in the position that we're at right now. Uh, you know, there there are certain moments in history uh, where communities kind of bifurcated, uh, and uh, and that's not something that we can that we can change, except for in a speculative a speculative manner. So, seeing as we are where we are right now, that however many decades centuries of history, you know, has built up different canons of again of genre specific information, different directions or lines of history that need to be taken into account. So if we look at mainstream science fiction, uh, theirs is a futurist science fiction, which again makes at, at some point in the early 20th century, try to make a break with the past and try to build something new on top of what I would consider, you know, kind of a misunderstanding of kind of where, who we are and what the future should look like. And simply because there was one group of people who were thinking of a future that they thought would would either would just be for everybody who they imagined as people, right? Uh, so anyone else would, if they were considered in that in that future, you know, it took a long time for them not to be the villains, for them not to be the monsters, um, and and still, I mean, to, to still today, you know, something you got to deal with looking at non-speculative fiction or any fiction, quite frankly, uh, or just not even fiction is looking at how we interact with the people who are not who will be considered the others so that that otherness has been built into the stories we've been telling for years so as one of those kinds of people you know who has been in that that othering it's not as if we didn't that writing wasn't going on speculation or imagining or wasn't going on it just took place behind a wall so that's why there's the necessity of the kind of acronym because right now there's not there is not enough integration. We are not at the point where the integration of speculative fiction um, has really become a thing. And even if it does, again, no time travel, we're still going to be drawing on this, uh, these kind of different modes uh, and different, uh, different genre symb uh, symbols for a while until, I don't know, maybe forever. Uh, it does not necessarily need to be a negative thing that there is an Afrofuturism and now there's this mainstream because it can simply be considered, you know, this is a place where people of these experiences have 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 organized their ideas and their principles and kind of themes that they want to be talking about. And this is a place that you that we can pull from. Now, if we get to a point where 
anybody in any nationality or ethnicity, a, a, a writer who is able to use their own empathy, the writing empathy, to integrate those things into a larger story arc, storyline that is considered mainstream. At the same time, we have an integration of power uh, between those two communities. Then we can start looking at it in a different way. You know, like you know, people give give Marvel, you know, a bad you know bad rap, but Black Panther, that was a big freaking deal. That is mainstreaming something that was Afrofuturist. And Afrofuturist in a way, which is it's, it's kind of funny, you know, Black Panther itself, you know, it was the character was created by by a white person, kind of taking a a Western science fiction perspective, right? And then putting it onto an African anti anti-colonial colony or kingdom. And that was cool, but then the people who made it, they said, oh, wait, maybe we should have more black people actually engage in this process. And they did so. Um, and same thing with Afrofuturism. I mean, the word Afrofuturism was coined by by someone who is not from that our community. Uh, but then it was, uh, he, uh, he is a, he's an ally. So it made sense that then people come in and fill in the gap. So it's just people in positions of power, you know, they're the ones and they look not like me for the most part, uh, who are making a lot of these decisions. So if we have, again, more integration on the back end, then you'll start seeing less of a need to defend Afrofuturism as kind of a place, a safe space versus a pool in which uh, creatives can get together and that they can uh, they can take for oh, use respectfully without being seen as a kind of appropriation. In some sense, it's almost like in order to get to a world that is where Afrofuturism, I'm not going to say won't be needed because that's not quite what I'm where I'm getting at. I, I can't lose my words. But where basically what I'm trying to say is that in order to even achieve something like that, it also it's it it requires outside of like it requires efforts outside of science fiction in the first place, outside of literature. We're talking about uh, you know, power relations, we're talking about racialization, we're talking about all of these things. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And yeah. and and, and it's, it wouldn't be an erasure Afrofuturism, it mm-hmm. would be an, an acceptance of Afrofuturism, exactly. no longer having to defend the idea yeah. and kind of expounding on it. You know, this is, you know, I think, who is the actor? I forget his name. Uh, he's very famous, his voice, voice of God in like so many different movies. <laughs> this black guy. Uh, Morgan he, Freeman. Uh, Yes, Morgan Freeman. Like I think he he's he's quoted for, for saying that you know you know Black uh, Africa uh, uh, African American History Month, you know it's it's American History Month. So the fact that we kind of organize it into one month, I mean, there's a reason, there's a rationale behind that. These are Black people who actually made these decisions, you know, Lincoln's birthday and everything else in there. But it is um, it is American history in the same way that, you know, Italian or Irish, there should be, we have, it was funny, we have these months, but nobody really realizes that Italian history month comes and goes in October. No one realizes that it's coming, it's gone, you know, because no one's really fighting over, no one's saying, hey, why do we have to have this thing? Uh, I, my Italian friends have no idea that it exists. <laughs> uh, so, um, so it's there, it's just not, um, there's a lot of emotional weight behind it. So if that emotional weight becomes less traumatic and more um, celebrated by everybody, then it becomes it's life or futurism or whatever you want to call it. But now it is um, the connotation changes for more people. Right, yeah, and any, hasn't there been a 
in kind of like in a, in parallel to Black History Month, there's been this like I think there's a book called Black Futures or Black Future Month or something like that. Like this is something that's also been being thought about, right? Yeah, there's. I mean, I, I think I know the book you're talking about. I think I might even have it as something to, to download. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So there's there are black futures. There's black utopias. There are uh, there's like many different essays or books of essays on these ideas um, that are and many of them, even if they're not. Many of them they're not they're not speculative in nature. You know, they're not talking about science fiction. It's still at the same time they'll they'll be quoting N.K. Jemisin. You know, <laughs> in the introductions. So, or they're talking about uh, 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 for Something they're all they're they're always referencing in some way. It's impossible not to not to reference speculative fiction as well, uh, even if you're making you know relevant having arguments or debates about the real and the now. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean. You've, I think you wrote this essay uh, about three years ago, right? If I'm not mistaken, Gosh, 2019. I think so. 2019, yeah, yeah, 2019. Not. So how has the, <laughs> how have things changed since then? Or at least, yeah, how have you seen people think about maybe Afro Solar Punk more? Like, how has that kind of developed? Um, you know, there's going to be a convention in October that I'm a part of, but there is a, a speculative fiction convention specifically about Solar Punk. And there is a solar punk magazine which is associated with them. And they have just, I think they just came out like last year. Uh, but at least one of their feature, one of their, one of their, their issues was specifically Afrofuturist in solar punk. I have not read it yet. Uh, it is on my list of things to read. So it's coming. It's there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just taken a long time. Uh, this solar, this this convention it is it's a Kickstarter. You know, they this is not something that has been around for more quite, quite frankly, I'm not sure how long it's been around. This might be the first convention. It's the first time I've been invited to it. So I just found out about it, you know, about about two months ago. Hmm. Um, okay. so it's there. Uh, but really only there. Uh, there's some other people. Uh, I'm trying to think of some names. Uh, Dado Ek, uh, uh, Ekpeki, a D O N A L D, uh, last name E K P E K I. Uh, if you look, he actually has a, a first name is much longer. I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I don't want to butcher it. Uh, sorry, Don. Uh, uh, he is. He just came out with an anthology of uh, just African. It's called African Rising or Africa Rising. So it is African futurism, I believe. Uh, and that's it's beautiful. I've seen the book. And it's, it's winning awards. Um, now, I don't know if these awards are based off of people who have read it or these are awards from people who just see it and say, this is this is really, really important. Um, uh, and they're pushing it either way. Uh, but these are people who are, he's one of the people who's really kind of uh, working to, to make this new space. Uh, and he also will be this panel, the, sorry, this convention, uh, and he and I think I remember hearing about his book. Even he he didn't call it solar punk. He called it eco fiction. So I actually have to go back and have to read the story to figure out what exactly he was doing. So the so still the solar punk Afro futures Afro solar punk uh, I think is still wide open. But it's it's just amazing that it's been developing so quickly. I I've uh, discovered solar punk uh, I think two years ago something like that. Uh, Emmy actually I think was the first one on this podcast to mention it. Um, and since then, it's just, it felt, I mean, obviously I'm also looking for it, so I'm obviously biased, <laughs> but 
it definitely felt like there's been a growing momentum at the very least of people feeling like, well, this is something that can actually offer um, not necessarily answers or perfect solutions, but at the very least so uh, tools to think about the future in different ways. And I have this, this quote by, um, actually, let me, let me find it. But if you want to say something in the meantime, go for it. I need to find the quote. Um, no, I think, I think you're, you're right. There's certainly a lot of critical, some, some critical mass that's kind of starting to build behind it. Um, even that critical mask, you know, it's, it's small compared to other, other genres. Uh, what I do find invigorating, I think about solar punk, and this kind of goes back to like what it means to me is that I think it's a reevaluation of, of who we are. Cause I think, you know, a lot of early eco fiction was either kind of like a back to nature movement, um, or it was seeing humans as a disease, you know, as we are the problem, we're the virus. And if only we could get rid of the people, uh, then the planet would be fine. Which, you know, really there's no arguing with that, except, you know, a meteor, you know, <laughs> will do more damage. You know, the planet will be fine. We won't be fine. I think it's kind of the point, though, uh, one way or the other. And so what Solar Punk does, I think, is it takes a look at, you know, it's kind of assumptions about what is possible given the correct organization of 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 society um having an idea of of limits uh and seeing those limits not so uh, not as depressing you know but as kind of poetry and understanding that you know that as as individuals as a species um we've been told that you know we're sinful uh or that we are animals, which is true, but we are social animals. And so given the right kind of incentives, with if we can get away from kind of the, the, the trauma of our recent past, and I think we're starting to deal, we're starting to see, I think, in many ways, move, stepping away from the trauma of the recent past. And a lot of the issues that we're dealing with, uh, like, like right now is going on in, uh, in the Ukraine, the war between Ukraine and Russia, on a certain level, it is it is generational warfare. You know, these are you know Putin, who's from a certain age and time, uh, traumatic bent people, who are doing their best to pass on that trauma to uh, to younger, the next generation, and that really is. I mean, there's that war is about a lot of different things, but really is about him and his stuff. You know, and and what he's trying to put onto the community and what people are willing to take. And if you set up a system like this, you know, where, you know, information uh, is coming from one source, from one very pained and suffering source, uh, then that's a system you're going to create. You know, if we are constantly looking at all the negativity, we forget that that no point in human history before now have we seen so Fewer people dying from war, fewer people dying from disease, fewer people dying from poverty. You know, it, it, whatever you want to say about capitalism, and it does have a lot of issues, which is its own thing. Um, and solar pump definitely tends to be anti-capitalist uh, with, a, with a capital A, anti-capitalist. Um, what you want to say about it's gotten us to this point where we can take a step back and say, okay, we have some things to fix. But look at all these other things that have gone on <laughs> that have been successful. So, you know, there's what Solar Punk, I think, does is it 
is able to look at those good things and find find a, an armory, I guess, it's tools there to kind of re-understand ourselves and re-understanding ourselves, and we can then we can change how we organize society and how we deal with the, deal with the environment. Yeah, thanks for that as well. I mean, the, so the quote I was thinking of is by Gerson Lodi Ribeiro. He's this uh, Brazilian editor of, I think it was the first, or at least one of the earlier. Yes, uh, he's the first. That's he's the, the first. first. Anthology yeah. on solar punk. It was yeah. published in Portuguese in 2019, uh, 2012, I mean. So 10 yeah. years now. And he was asked, like, why solar punk? Like, why? You know, because obviously cyberpunk is the more established one. But why did he pick solar punk? And he replied, and he, I, this is from like an essay that I'm writing now. But he replied that Brazil's uh, quote-unquote fantastic literature biosphere, uh, which is a fantastic sentence, uh, was already polluted, uh, quote-unquote, with coal and petroleum. And basically, in other words, like we're already familiar with dystopian and post-apocalyptic futures. And it does feel, I mean, it felt back in 2012, clearly, uh, with him, but it definitely feels now that in some sense they've kind of run their course. It doesn't mean that there's no role for dystopia or that, you know, there's always a role for any genre, I suppose, but that there's kind of, it felt to me anyway, that's just too much of it and not enough of the alternatives. Like just not enough of the, of solarpunk, obviously. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> well, I was fine, like, you know, the, the genres pop up at a at moments of existential crisis. And they're just kind of the articulation of this, of, of this crisis. And even though it's crisis, you know, crisis adds to story. Crisis kind of builds things out. You can find something cool in crisis. You know, that's what we write stories, stories about, you know, and whole genres about them. So absolutely, you know, it, it post-apocalyptic. It has a sense, it has a feel, which, uh, again, is, which again is coming from that place of, of trauma, which I think, again, we need to reevaluate. The cool thing about, 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 Brazil, I guess, besides the re-understanding, you know, of, you know, of technologies that deal with the environment, because they have their own, they have their own problems there. Uh, but they've also been ahead of the curve in trying to figure out solutions. It's also been ahead of the curve in small bites, in trying to figure out political solutions as well. Uh, so there's this book that I'm reading now called, yeah, oh, it's right, Humankind by Rutger Bregman. And uh, have you read this one? I have, I have, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And one of the things that, he's, that he talks about, he talks about the towns in Brazil that when given a choice between three different, uh, uh, that's not, that wasn't, no. Well, there was in Brazil, but I think there was other country as well. Uh, but given the choice between the old dictator and the new oligarch and some guy, and a third guy who nobody knew but said, look, if you give me power, I'll always give it right back to you. Um, and they took the third option, right? And they were able to do uh, become much more engaged citizens in the way that we kind of expect or hoped that they would that we would in, in the United States because we were, we're supposed to, we are supposed to take citizenship and the values and responsibilities responsibilities of citizenship very very seriously. But there, like actually giving people the power and the responsibility of dealing with the money, you know, made them engage in a way that simply we don't and haven't been unless you're of the political class or you have the time. Uh, to to do so regularly, so you know, so there are a lot of different things coming out of the, coming out of that area. Now the book itself, uh, that for solar punk book, it is is one of my favorites, but it's also right there on the edge between solar punk and other eco punk because it is not utopian in any sense of the word, 
not in any of the stories. Uh, they are dealing with some harsh, harsh topics. There is murder by corporations. There are, you know, there's even been some fantastic elements where people are integrating uh, plants into their system. Kind of, it's like a, it's even though it's not, it's, it's not um, uh, uh, so uh, cyberpunk. There are still some cyberpunk elements, but being, you know, this being like the very first thing. So there are places where stories where char- uh, characters are, have, uh, you know, they change their DNA. You know, they're post-human in a way, so they can survive this environment. So it's it is it is a much broader sense, really more eco punk than solar punk, uh, or rather the solar punk that we hear about today. And and one of the things I like about that is they do kind of smack the concept of utopia off the table. As if I have a pet peeve about solar punk or people describing it, it's the connection to utopia. And the idea of utopia is a single perfect state, which basically means that you stopped changing. You found some level of perfection, which I've always found to be dangerous, quite frankly, lethal, because that also implies a kind of modern idea of of one rule. You know, here is our version, my version of perfect, and I'm going to make that perfection everywhere. It's a very dangerous, I think, idea of utopia. So they knock that they knock that off immediately. And you know, if in any of my writings um, on solar punk, um, that is something I'm trying to step away from. Or rather, put a red a red line around, because solar punk, I think, if you have a utopia, you've lost the punk aspect of it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a that's a good point. I I sometimes have used the term pragmatic utopia, uh, essentially as like it could be a useful tool to have some kind of goal to or some kind of vision ahead, but that vision doesn't have to be a stable one. It doesn't have to be a fixed one. It can actually evolve over time, essentially, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, like for in my the essay I'm working on right now, mm-hmm. what I've considered to be solar punk, um, my definition is these are stories about the consequences of good choices, right? Mm. So if we have the political will to do this thing, right, whatever this thing is, you know, integrating this technology, making a change to this system, so that even if it is not directly connected to environmental justice, does have a a, a knock on effect because of you know, something down the line. You know, sometimes you have to attack the problem. You know, uh, not directly but indirectly. Uh, in doing so, you know, you are you are in a fight with what has come before. You are in a fight with systems which are still in play and which aren't just going to bend bow down and disappear because, you know, a legislation has been passed, there's a new president, you know, we have a new technology. Once these things, once these ideas are in play, then this is where the story begins, you know, and that story will inevitably involve power, politics, crime, murder, and perfect people, you know, nations colliding, people colliding, generations colliding. And that collision, though, from the point of perspective of the solar punk character, does not have to be, you know, a long, drawn-out, bloody gunfight. It's taking our understanding of what makes people people, our new understanding, and acting differently in those situations. You know, so one of the what there's a story from uh, solar punk. Uh, what is it? Solar punk gardens. Uh, the winter. I think it's the winter one. Um, I'm forgetting the actual time, but you know which one I'm talking about. I am, yeah. It's uh, yeah. actually, it's just here. One second. 
Yeah. <laughs> Winter Gardens. I'm gonna go get it. Glass and Gardens and yes. Solar Punk Winter, Solar Punk uh, Summers. Yeah. Solar Punk. I, mean, I like them both, but Solar yeah. Punk Winters I think is is my favorite of the two. Mm. And there's one story there, um, where a it's quasi post-apocalyptic because cities are kind of shut down, but there there's a working group of you know of of teens and their and I guess they're kind of their their team manager the the, the the team adult and they've had to go out to get something and there's somebody in their group who is super intelligent but doesn't really think about everything they're doing and they make a mistake because they go on their own and it's, and they get somebody hurt right and rather than punish them rather than criminalize what they've done instead they say okay now that we've solved the problem of fixating this person who you just hurt we're sending you to college we were putting our money together to send you to go get better at what you're really good at. Because not because we feel like there was any need to, to, I mean, you already feel bad, right? Us kicking you out of the community, mm. us, you know, ostracizing you, us making you pay some kind of penalty or fee over time. It does nothing to change the behavior. It does nothing to bring you closer to the community. It does nothing to, to improve your own sense of self and therefore your connection to people around you as well. But if you go to advanced, uh, so to college, get an advanced degree in this thing that you're really good at, that will be so much more beneficial to you, to us. You'll feel better about that. And we can do this for you. It's a gift to you because we value you. And that story out of all of them really kind of blew my mind because it wasn't the engineering. It wasn't the science. It wasn't the science fiction. It wasn't the character work. It's just the concept that, you know, of, of punishment, mm. you know, which is something as a as a as a parent, <laughs> I have to go. I have to go back to over and over again. You know, no, I told you not to do that thing. I told you not to do how many times to go to your room. Me tell to go to my go to her room. Is that really helpful? She's leaving up the room for a bit, so I'm not as stressed out anymore. But <laughs> is, that, is that is that really helpful in the long run? So and so, but that's you know individually on the on the societal basis. You know, looking at you know prisons. You know, or looking at again how we treat people and interactions. Um, if we people know there's going to be a negative consequence that is going to shame them away from doing away from doing the right thing, then there's no real reason to. There may not be a reason to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there are different ways and uses of the word shame. I don't want to get this. It's nuanced. I mean, we have social shame where if you do something like I don't know, if you punch your wife, you know, then. Uh, there should be some shame there. There should be, okay, this is not, we all recognize this is not right. And there should be some kind of censure, right? But it's not going to be where now you go to prison for 20 years. Maybe it is, you know what, you really are in a position to do your job correctly or be a family man. So you need to go have help. That's going to be our response to you is to understand this came from somewhere, but still dangerous situation, we will change the dynamics of the situation of the environment mm. as a different as a different impact. And that's not so much solar punk, but I feel like the idea behind solar punk is healing. Yeah. You don't heal the environment without healing the social environment. These are the people. Yeah, no, I, I do think there's, there's, a, there's definitely an element, I can definitely see this being integrated in many more solar punk stories, essentially. Uh, abolitionism, broad, broadly speaking, as well, has or Solopon can adopt a lot of abolitionist principles. I feel, um, but I kind of went back a tiny bit. Um, 
I know in the essay you talk about the role of technology and how te- tech, like technology in general, is thought of obviously in science fiction as, as the core of science fiction, uh, at least one of the it, like its main component as this very futuristic thing. Um, but you have a very interesting analysis of like the movie iRobot, which I feel most people probably at least have heard of, if not watched <laughs> uh, or read the initial books, obviously. Um, what can you can you use that film uh, and kind of just talk about it briefly without spoilers? For I don't know if like there's five people who haven't watched it or something. I don't know, but like <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, just talk about it a bit. And why did you bring it up? Like, what what did it say in, in the essay? So the the I think the idea was that just in creating stories where you're dealing with, we'll call it the urban population, right? Because we think of the urban population, we inevitably, we're thinking about minorities because that's the majority, the minorities are here. So if you're going to write a story, right, which has, you know, us, you know, and it has police and it has kind of this noir detective element to it, but you're writing it from a perspective that does not take into account the role of these different institutions, which Afrofuturism has definitely had quite a bit of experience with and talked about and read about, then the story is going to be paper thin and it's going to rub people the wrong, some people the wrong way. And it's just going to be a, a, not only an inaccurate representation, because again, when we're doing genre fiction, you know, we are enacting a kind of realism. And this realism, you know, it's always a question how much real, R-E-A-L, you know, is integrated with R-E-E-L. Uh, and the idea that, you know, when you go particularly to a movie or something or to a, 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 like a Netflix show, this is taking your audience and putting them into the the into the, the into the life and plot and of, of other characters, right? And if enough people are seeing this, right, then it becomes part of the culture. So, you know, if you are making this cultural vehicle, right, that is missing the brakes, you know, or missing the windshield, you know, it's going to be a problem for certain elements. And so, you know, you know, when I watched the first time, and I was, I don't know, I was pretty young. I was like, okay, it's Will Smith, you know, I it's cool movie but then as i got older i'm watching it again and then knowing more about asimov and kind of we having a better understanding of what i want to see as a writer as well as an audience i'm saying i start seeing things i'm going ew that's gross <laughs> that's gross that's gross that's gross what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing and so it, it's like this became kind of an uh iconic uh in the kind of lowered lowered expectations, kind of like soft porn, you know, white privilege that that kind of, you know, just it, it moves along, you know, our, our digestive track, our culture of the digestive track. I said, well, no, let's stop for a moment. Let's let's just examine what what is it that we just ate? And let's <laughs> let's let's check the back. Let's check at the back of the can and see what exactly is in there. Um, and then you start to see it. And you start to go, okay, this I see what you're trying to do, but I also see where your blind spots are. And if you have integrate again the reason why there's this we have to have this afro futurism is because it's integrated because people in power don't stop to think okay who should i be talking to to make this not so much more real but more in line with the experiences of people who actually live there because the idea and this is again one of the reasons why i'm going i'm working on this essay on solar punk noir uh because there are um elements of fiction which have 
basically become the have had a, have had a done a good job of taking the place of real history for people, you know, because we don't never you don't live everywhere, you don't know anybody truly outside of the people you interact with regularly, you know, what you see in school, or what you see on TV, or you're scrolling through Facebook or social media. So are your not it's not so it's not just and it's not just you know your own perspective which is being uh, uh, curtailed or or curated. It's perspective of people in power who decide you know where are we going to make these the borders between neighborhoods you know where are we going to where are we going to send funds who is deserving and who is not deserving you know there are certain narratives which uh, which feed this underlying misunderstanding of who these others are. Uh, like when you put, you know, when you, you know, when you build a city, and you have, you know, massive African American and minority migration in suburban flight out, you know, you've actually made made a point to make it harder for those people who are now in the urban in the urban center to get out. You know, that means that there's not a lot of connection. You know, and not a lot of connection, not a lot of social services. We see a degrading in the kinds of communities that were there because they've been broken up by system up by systemic racism by capitalism by being stuck here by having so many people on top of each other and then 1980s hits and then crack in the streets i mean so these these so these are things which are kind of these are still historic points which are feeding into a narrative that is that is kind of un undigested no rather rather that's the wrong word suggested without really kind of understanding what it is that you're eating and so this has a huge effect on how on our politics on how we see others. Fiction, in many ways, uh, is much more endemic to the way, uh, to our to individuals' understanding of, of the world that we live in. Uh, because we don't, not everybody reads history. We're not really designed to read history, understand these large systemic things. But we are good at understanding stories, and we ingest stories all day long. That's why I like to, always in these conversations that could, in theory, like, could end up being very theoretical, always kind of bring them back to stories that many people kind of recognize or the videos have heard of. Anything that's interesting about iRobot, I haven't seen, rewatched it in a very long time now. Uh, I am very curious to do so soon. But you mentioned like very simple things that I know back then I didn't pay attention to. Like I know, uh, well, you know, he, okay, he's, he's a, he's a, obviously Swiss he's a black guy, but he's also a racist cop. And it's near future Chicago, but it's still at, at the same time predominantly white. And uh, these things are like, it's basically the wallpaper. It's like, it's a, it's, a, it's a form of just, this is, it's taken for granted that this is what the future might look like or will look like, because there's a will aspect to it, will look like, even though, you know, you might look at, I don't know, demographic trends, or you might look at other kind of uh, real life things happening that, you know, point to the fact that this is actually not, not, quite, not quite accurate. And the other thing more interesting than what I just said, you, you mentioned the, the whole, this is something that's well known in like the Asimov books and I mean, for those who don't know, but like the whole robot slash slave uh, dynamic and narratives, it kind of, it's, it's, how do I say this? It can be interpreted very differently and you do so. So I, I would ask you to kind of expand on this a bit. Um, depending on one's background and depending if you know the history of of well of slavery for example like there's there's something very specific that happens if you don't take that into consideration your conclusions will go very in a direction that's very different than if you do take those into consideration i don't quite know if i made if i was yeah coherent to that. But I, yeah i think yeah, i think so i mean it, it, the, the very idea of a robot right the very concept of a robot 
you know, it's based off of, <laughs> you know, slaves. I mean, that's it's, it's in it's in it's in the etymology etymology of the word, you know. So it's it's easy to see that if you're look if you're looking for it, um, it's easy not to see it um, if it's not been something that you've had to try and have a conversation about agnosia. So it's it's just it's just there, and I understand that Asimov is trying to do something different with his stories, and which is why you know I try not to put too much of this on Asimov's shoulders. It's just that the way that it was interpreted for our audience, for this audience, uh, it it has a different ring to it. You know, it does something different, particularly because now we're not talking about the written word, right? We're talking about a different kind of media. Medium dictates the message very often. So one, by simply number of people, because I don't think, you know, people, a lot of people have heard of Asimov, right? But there's a lot of Asimov to read. I know I haven't read everything that that he's done. Uh, And so, but more people have have seen Will Smith, (laughs) I think, than read Asimov. And and so when when you take these ideas and and you kind of simplify it to something that can be digested, you know, visually, you know, in 90 minutes, you're going to lose something unless you're careful. And it's not to say that this story should be an African-American story. I actually, quite frankly, don't want it to be an African-American story unless you're specifically saying Afro-Futurist, this is an Afro-Futurist tale then there will be some other things I think would be taken into account. But just, you know, if you know this, then maybe you don't make it the good slaves who get killed <laughs> to to save the masters from the bad slave who realize that they can do better. And, you know, there's there's a scene, I think, at the end where of the movie where the Messiah character is able to help the good slaves uh, but not towards freedom, I don't think. I don't think that's the direction it was going. That's not where they were going. It wasn't saying, okay, let's. We don't want to have a violent overthrow, but let's let's have a let's have a slow roll of our freedoms. Because if you think about it, quite frankly, these robots, any of them, as long as their battery <laughs> their battery lasts, uh, it's not you know, um, uh, what is it? And it's built to you know to turn off after a certain number of time. They're gonna. They would outlive us, so they will be able to say, "Okay, in the grand scheme of the history of our planet and this other species, we're kind of the immortal ones here, so we can take our time." You know, we're we have we have a different hardware than these other people, so we can find a way to manage our own expectations, and then also, you know, make a future that's better for us, if not better for everybody. I mean, there are different kind of questions that you ask. When you take into when you understand some of the pitfalls of of in of a story that does not understand Afrofuturists, or at least take those writers into account when they're telling the story, and it's not to say I should say that every African American writer or Afrofuturist writer would make the same kind of decisions that I would, but it would certainly be in their mind to say, wait, let's try this a different way. I think. Thanks for that. So there's one more uh, one more question before I'm like the, getting into the book section. Um, uh, we mentioned it already before, like Wakanda and Black Panther, and this is 
are probably one of the most watched films of, of recent years, I think. How would you uh, describe the relationship between Black Panther, the movie, and let's say uh, Afro Solar Punk? Like, what are certain things in common? What are like important differences, if that makes sense? Because I feel like this would help certainly me and hopefully listeners um, kind of make that nuance, if that makes sense. Well, I, if I don't know if you can really make any real connection between <laughs> Afro Solar Punk and and Black Panther. So first of all, their technology, um, I guess you could say vibranium. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it is kind of like it's a it's a magic bullet. So the it's something that everybody wants. But no one really understands how you get it. You know mm-hmm. how was it integrated? You know what's the what's the what's you know were there landfills? Do they have landfills? I mean, it's it's since it's not a part of the story, yeah. we can't have a conversation on a technological basis. It's it's a MacGuffin. No, it's it's just it's it's a magic. Um, when it comes to the the understanding of society, it's a monarchy. So, and the interesting thing here is that if you read the comics for Black Panther, they have really, starting with Tahisi Coates, uh, they've really pushed back hard against monarchy. They've actually uh, dissolved the monarchy Hmm. in the process of dissolving it. Like, uh, the last major story arc was Wakandan Empire. So there's kind of a retcon where where Black Panther goes into space. And he goes into space. He sends researchers, you know, into space to go look for something. And when they do, they go excellently end up going back in time and they create an entire uh, colonial power in space. Uh, and they're huge and they're dangerous. Mm. And so so the, the book, the comic book story arc is about toppling that empire, saying no good, there is no good empire, black empire, white, but there's no good empire. And then back on earth, uh, the Black Panther gives up the seat of power and they become a parliamentary democracy. But now in the process of parliamentary democracy, there has been a coup, attempted coup by the military mm. to try and seize power and hold power. And I will say that I like the ideas this last one. I think that there's some, there are some important details that are missed, I think, in trying to create this kind of shorter comic, but whatever. Point though, is that the, 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 the comic does more to address some of the issues you might consider in solar punk but not but the, the movie itself doesn't yeah unless i'm missing something no, it I, is I agree. <laughs> really afro african no afro futurist because the majority even though it's set in africa you know and my wife is african mm-hmm. she's in west africa mm-hmm. and when she saw the movie in the theater she cries mm-hmm. this is amazing mm-hmm. but it's still created primarily by 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 African Americans, mm-hmm. and the whole idea of Black Panther is African American. You know, there there is a kind of utopian idea. You know, that if we could go back to Africa, you know, then we could, it would be better. Mm. Which we tried, uh, and so yeah, so it's much more of an Afrofuturism than an Afro solar punk. An Afro solar punk, you wouldn't have, I think, or a, a superpower. Uh, and and the and the defense of a superpower as the main as the main goal basically yeah. Yeah. you know because you know and now I, I it 
Yes, I mean it's it's much more in line, I think, with the concept concepts that are floating around in Marvel MCU, which is well, there's a system, right? There's what pe way people want to live, and then there are these different attacks on the system. Mm. Some of them might be legitimate attacks, some of them are illegitimate attacks, but attacks on the system that we all live in, and they have to be tamped down in some mm. way, mm. because revolutions are scary and dangerous and often very very bloody and i, I and i have some concern to anybody who tells me they're revolutionary i'm like revolutionary in what way because you look like you're from westchester <laughs> you're from the suburbs <laughs> so so what what revolution are you talking about yeah you know? yeah uh, yeah yeah no, so th that that's yeah I, I i always find he is kind of just thinking about how if I because Wakanda is is very aesthetically pleasing, obviously it's just it has it's you just see so many things and it. it's very colorful, it's all of that. And picturing, uh, if you just stick to the aesthetics and you don't quite know much about solar punk, you you might just conclude, oh, there's some solar punk elements to this. Um, it's how now some people who just when they think of solar punk, they just imagine like you know some building in Singapore which is very green or stuff like that. And obviously yeah. that's that's not what it is, but it can be a helpful point of entry essentially to start talking about these things sure um sure. yeah sure like the set pieces the set pieces are beautiful you know brought my attention to it now i have to go back and what and look at it and say okay how much of this is truly kind of an integrative natural um aesthetic versus this is just the the african art but scaled up to a higher degree no, it's hard to I have to go back and look exactly what are they doing because if you look if you're inside the buildings, it just looks futuristic. It's when you're flying over that you see it's kind of this cool kind of mesh of things. Mm -hmm. But then we walk through the streets, it's hard to tell. It just looks like it looks like a as a more advanced, you know, it's like what my wife's Burkina Faso. I go to Burkina Faso, so it looks like Burkina Faso basically, but with mm -hmm. more narrow, more narrow streets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, I mean, unless you you have, uh, if there's anything, I don't know, we didn't explore that you wanted to explore. Uh... Um, no, I think this is this has been a good conversation. I just think, uh, what do I think? I think that <laughs> if anybody is going to uh, write in solar punk, mm -hmm. um, then for me, one of the things that I like to see solar punk do is become more mainstream. You know. Uh, and so ways that you can make this something, a story that's, that goes to Netflix, mm. you know, uh, I think are, are expedient means to make this part of the larger um, media, the larger kind of cultural memory of people, of, 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 of us, uh, because it is still a kind of a niche, a niche genre. Yeah. And we are right now trying to find a way to to rethink our futures uh in fiction but i think that that has to be something that kind of gets into the gestalt the subconscious of just you know look if, if 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 donald trump and i could agree on climate change you know that'd be a really big deal mm -hmm. you know or whoever comes after him like okay you know what you're a jerk i'm using a different word because my, my daughter's <laughs> uh for so many other things but you know, if you just a little bit more solar punk, you know, we could have a conversation. Because the thing is, and and, and I'll see a little bit of a tangent. You know, one of the things that you, if you pay attention to Donald Trump, is that he wants people to like him more than anything else. And there were earlier accounts of when he would have meetings with the, the Democrats, 
And they'd agree to something. And then right afterwards, the Republicans would come in and they would change his mind. Right. You know, so people like that, you know, they want, they feel the need to be in the right side of something. And if people get to abandon them, then all their most negative behaviors start to, start to come out. Um, so why am I on this tangent? I don't know. <laughs> Point being <laughs> is that there, if we, if, if solar punk could be a thing that people don't even really question anymore, yeah. you know, then that'd be fantastic. We'll still have fights over other things, but fights over, you know what, we need to get the carbon out of the air, ASAP. Yeah. You know, we yeah. need to get, you know, methane down. And yeah. everyone is like, okay, yeah, then we can have debates about racism, you know, get hate about socialism, whatever, but get this thing down. And I will feel my existential uh, dread will have gone down about four degrees. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am definitely on board with that. It's, it's the same thing, uh, like, when I think of, there, are, there aren't that many people who are arguing that we need to reopen the, the ozone layer. You know, that's not a debate that people are having nope. because it's been done fixed you know ish more or less but anyway so okay um oh and yeah something that I, I do uh i've made i've given that example a few times i just wanted i want solar punk to be as easy for like the average kid somewhere to imagine as it is for that kid to picture a zombie apocalypse you know because it's yes. such an easy thing that is just everywhere i just want it to be as easy as that and then as you said Absolutely. we can still be debating i mean it's not going to solve everything but just getting to that point would already be quite something Yes, it would. Right. Um, okay, I mean, so the last thing, all that stuff is kind of to, for me to ask you, what are three books that you would recommend to our listeners? It's something I do with every episode. And like, why those three? Uh, gosh. Um, so I'm trying to find, I had, it's, it's, it's been a week. So um, no one thing I would recommend to you is Multi-Species Cities by yeah. Solar Punk. Uh, it's, it is the latest anthology of, of Solar Punk anthologies. And there's another one, which is not solar punk. It is out of, I believe, Arizona University. I'm trying to get the exact title. Uh, but they're, they're, it's a whole project that they're doing where they are, I think it's, I think it's called Cities of Light. It is, yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking okay. about. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they, that is uh, where they have taken um, uh, researchers and authors who have them worked together to come up with, you know, some fictional uh, stories which will demonstrate, you know, uh, uh, a narrative, these, these, these tools. Mm -hmm. And it has wonderful bibliographies to go along with it as well. And this is not, that's not their only, it's not their only book. There's another one, which I'm trying, I have it in my Kindle. I have, ah, here it is. It's called uh, Hieroglyph, which I think is the first of these projects, Stories and Visions for a Better Future, mm. uh, Hieroglyph, uh, by Ed Finn and Catherine Kramer. And same thing, uh, they don't have the, the bibliography of the nonfiction elements, but they do uh, have their, their stories mo mostly about what they call, they're calling uh, moonshots. So like big, big ideas in science, which they think uh, would impact us in many different ways. Uh, and then one more besides, well, I, 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 do, I do think that everyone should be reading, uh, I think the book I mentioned before, Human, Humankind. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that really, by Rutger, uh, Rutger uh, Bregman, 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 because it just, it, it lays out a case for a different understanding of humanity uh, that you can, uh, if you don't believe them, you can find the research yourself and see. <laughs> you know, you can, again, he points out exactly what is, exactly where, where the change, where the mistakes have been, the errors of understanding have been. I highly recommend those. 
And so I think those are, those are three good places to start. Amazing. None of them are Afrofuturists. I would say maybe for that uh, uh, Donald's Donald's essay on, uh, uh, sorry, uh, anthology, uh, African African Rising is a good mm. place. So I had not read it yet myself, but I'm excited to. Amazing. Okay, well, Rob, thanks a lot for this. This was an amazing chat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Defy These Times is hosted by myself, Joey Ayoub. I am also its producer, researcher, writer, and sound editor. If you want to help turn this project into a full-time job, please head out to patreon.com slash times to support it. These episodes are part of a bigger project, which includes resources, a newsletter, and eventually YouTube video essays as well. As always, thank you for listening and take care.